We as musicians turn to psalms a lot for inspiration. What was David but a musician? So I'm going to read from Psalm 104, 33. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. And all God requires of us is to do justly and walk humbly in his, in his word. And he requires us to just bring him our best, our best. And I want to just thank the students so much for bringing their best to the praise this morning. I wanted to take just a few minutes to encourage you in the possibility of living out the simplest and most fundamental hopes and dreams of God. I want to remind you of the basics, the essentials that are so easily and equally lost, whether in the rubble of frenzied and chaotic demands of busy and committed lives, or perhaps just in the routine and the commonness of living. I have a problem forgetting. I forget. Sometimes I forget the most significant, essential things. And I have come to believe or accept that forgetting comes extraordinarily easy and natural for me. I think it might be true of most of us. People forget lots of things that are actually very important to them. We forget appointments. We forget birthdays, our anniversaries, where we parked the car, phone numbers, policy numbers, passwords. We forget ideas and concepts, too. And under stress, our own address, <laughs> or sometimes the name of our children. Forgive us, children. Am I the only one who, at times, calls out the names of all of our pets when we're merely trying to address one of our children? Have you ever done that as a parent? Is Okay, sorry. Our dog gets called out so many times. Our kids forgive us. So we forget ideals, we forget goals, and even the convictions that were once so precious and formative in our lives. And we really forget them, or at least I do. Now the good news is that it's almost never done intentionally, but the bad news is it hardly matters. The outcome is the same. We forget things, really important, fundamental, life-saving, joy-making kinds of things. The process is what I call cognitive erosion. I just made that up, but if I was a psychology major, I would have made up a thousand more words. Cognitive erosion. Erosion caused in part by aging, without question, but the most often this erosion is a result of simple and inadvertent neglect. We stop thinking and reminiscing about these important things. We don't reference them enough. We don't talk about them. We don't use them in our everyday life. And then one day we realize that they are not there for our retrieval. So this morning, or this afternoon, I simply want to remind you again of the basics the central fundamentals of our hope and our calling. 
And we find it in the words of Jesus as found in Matthew 22, verses 37. Where here in this story, Jesus is earnestly implored to identify the greatest of all the commandments of the law. In reality, of course, it was posed to him as a test question in an attempt, if you please, to trip up Jesus and force him to pit one law against another and in doing so, inadvertently commit great blasphemy. At least this was the hope of the jealous and irritated Pharisees that sent their top scholar to ask Jesus the question, quote, which is the greatest commandment in the law? But Jesus takes no time at all in responding. He's not perplexed or even slightly challenged. His answer comes immediately and without a bit of hesitation. He simply and clearly responds, quote, Love God, love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Love him with all your heart? That's the human capacity to love. Love him with your soul? That's the human capacity to be a whole person of body and spirit that can commune with God. Love him with your mind? The human capacity to acquire knowledge, real God information, and understand enough for authentic spiritual transformation. As Paul explains in Romans 12, verses 2, through the renewing of our minds, we are spiritually spiritually transformed. It is an extraordinary plan designed by our Creator. Love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and foremost hope and desire of God, that we love him with everything we've got. And on the heels of this statement, Jesus immediately adds, and this is the hard part for all of us. He adds, and the second is like it. Like it? I was curious of the choice of the terms. Does Jesus really mean like Is he making that strong of a correlation between how we love God and whatever else it is that he is about to say? The Greek translation regarding this text, like, is the most understood and accurate translated Greek word here in this text. So what does the word like mean in the English dictionary? Like in the English dictionary has the following. Resembling. Typical of, inclined toward, indicates characteristics of. Jesus intended that the second commandment he gave was to be like the first commandment. It was to resemble, be typical of, and have the same characteristics as the first. The second is like it, says Jesus. Love your neighbors as yourself hard for us, isn't it? So, we can feel confident when Jesus says, the second is like it. He means, love your neighbor with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And he adds, just the way you love yourself. And that's even more difficult. Now, one of the sweetest parts about this commandment is the assumption on the part of Jesus that we're okay with ourselves. 
This isn't pride, and it surely isn't having a sense of superiority. Jesus clearly taught us against this destructive and unattractive mindset. And his own life was a testimony to the very antithesis of this. Jesus was a humble servant. But somehow he clearly expects that you respect yourself. Wow, this is hard for some of us. You take care of yourself. You forgive yourself. You nurture your life with God. And you do all those same things to the same measure with respect to how you treat and love your neighbor, other people. Not someone just next door, but other people in general. That's our neighbor. Now, I know this is not news to you. So forgive me for appearing to, you know, share with you something new. It is a reminder, as I said at the beginning, it's a reminder. I want to remind you of certain things. Especially now that I've jogged your memory, or at least my own memory. But the whole thing, all the doctrines, all the theology, all the practical applications, all the personal and all the corporate expressions of Christian life are at their fundamental core about love. And we must not forget this. I feel sad when I hear people mock people that have a theology of love or their church functions as primarily an institution of loving the neighbor. They'll mock it as if to say, they're all about love. Where are the doctrines? Where are the beliefs? Where are the practical applications? Well, Christ says, in spite of all those things, love is the most important. So it behooves us not to mock people who practice the social gospel that Jesus Christ himself demonstrated. Okay? So anyway, that's my pet response. I get sad when I hear people make fun of others that, oh, they just want to love everyone. Don't be so sarcastic about love. It's at the core of what Christ said. Right? That's what he said. So I just I just feel like we should remind that, ah, oh, man, I tell you, at the core of love, if we all... If the core was the was the the hub, all the spokes that we find so important, and all the things that are on the outside of the wheel, if they were all connected to love, we would not do away with the theology, with the doctrines, with the practical applications. They are all inclusive in love. It's just that we make them different and separate when we focus too much on them and not on the hub where the spokes of all our doctrines and beliefs come from. So love should drive and focus everything we do. Now, I have a son called Nicholas. He calls love like this. He calls it the love that delivers. He's a very practical-minded man with a Ph.D. in, 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 in theology, culture, arts, and worship. That's his degree. Uh, and he says, this kind of love, if we did it, is the love that delivers. It's infinitely more than philosophy or theology. The love that Jesus is referencing is done with heart, soul, and mind. It is an active love, a love that pursues, a love that cares, a love that forgives, a love that always points to God, a love that is active and makes itself known to all those we come in contact with. It is a love that makes a difference. 
a love that truly delivers. Remember who you are, that you are loved by God. Remember that you have signs posted up in this church all over. I've seen four of them that say, love, you know, it, anyway, I, I'm not chastising you. I'm just saying that we can never stop, we can never stop believing the platitudes that we speak. We must act the platitudes, the platitudes that we speak. Um, these are words of Jesus. Jesus will also explain um, that the mark of a true follower of him will be most readily recognized by how we treat one another. These are words of Jesus. Do you know that God asked us to love him in return? He says he loved us. You were loved by God and he asked to be loved in return. There's a relationship that Jesus Christ desires. It's primarily all he asks of us. Every day, remind yourself how great the Father's love is for us and how great it is for thankful hearts to respond to that love for us. And the second is like it. Remind yourself of what it is that God longs to see in you. Love him with everything you've got, heart, soul, and mind, and offer the same grace and genuine care to yourself and everyone else you encounter. And let us be reminded that how we abide and treat each other here on earth, waiting for Christ's second coming. Let me set that up again. Let's be reminded that how we abide and treat each other in God's kingdom here on earth, abide here on earth, waiting for Christ's second coming, that how we do that determines and demonstrates our worthiness to live with him forever. I do not believe that we will pass through the pearly gates and all of a sudden love everyone else. I don't believe it happens only in heaven. I believe we'll have wisdom unknown, but I do believe that God instructs us to behave that way down down here. It should behoove us to think about all the lines that we draw and protect ourselves in terms of insulating ourselves. We should treat as Christ did. We should treat as the early Christian did and invite people with whom we associate in this neighborhood to be a part of our worship community for two years before they're baptized. That was the early church's tradition. I know that many of you know that. And we want to do it in six weeks or three months or however long our next evangelistic series is. Um, And there is an ongoing evangelistic series here when when you truly love your neighbor and, um, and... I think the Lord will bless more when we have our six-week sessions, when we practice everyday evangelism. Of everything we will ever know concerning God and his expectation of us, the greatest, as he says, the greatest of these is love. And I don't believe it was an accident that you heard this wonderful testimony of Brianna's that the hymns chosen, and especially the last hymn. What's the hymn chosen at the end of this service? Ah, yeah. It's 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 like someone got together. Well, the Holy Spirit got together with, with the minds of people planning this service, and 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 what may have appeared to be an accident, or let's just do this hymn because it's a nice one. It's actually a perfect hymn, and of course the Holy Spirit knows that. I I had planned on sharing with you a song that's very very precious and talks about the love of Jesus and 
I, I will still do it if you don't mind. I'll go over to the piano. And in setting it up for you, I'm going to sing two verses of, this, of the gospel hymn, O Love of God. The love of God is greater than... Um, and I'm going to sing two verses. The second verse was written by an incarcerated man. He was incarcerated for his eccentricities and his overt spiritual passion. Uh, back in the day, and it happens now too, we call them religious freaks, people that were too passionate and too expressive about religious philosophy and, and the love of God and stuff. They were, they were considered crazy and put in the insane asylum. This particular gentleman, I'm going to sing one of his verses. His, his hymn, this, this verse is included in all the standard hymn books that actually have this hymn. And I just thought I would let you know that, that God works through all of us. All of us are sinners. All of us have sinned. And yet he works through moments of inspiration and shares truths that have long-lasting effect. The hymns we sing were written by sinful people. The hymn I'm about to share with you was written possibly, probably by a sinful person. It's going to be sung by a sinful person. But I hope that we can buoy each other up with the concept that we need to strive for the love of God. We need to strive for reciprocal love to others and love of ourselves. So let me just walk over to the piano and share that with you. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care God gave his son to win his erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin O love of God how rich and pure how measureless skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the 
Sky to sky. Oh. 